Today, we're, we're talking about peacemakers. So I want to speak to this idea of being peacemakers. To be disciple makers in a post-Christian world, we must be peacemakers. In other words, a disciple maker for Christ is essentially a peacemaker for Christ. Jesus himself said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called. They shall be called sons of God. In other words, a disciple maker for Christ is a peacemaker for Christ. And the reason we are peacemakers for Christ is because we are children of God. Now, you've all heard the saying, like father, finish it for me, like, like father, like son. Put it in another way. Put it in another phrase, another popular saying, the apple does not fall far from the tree, right? And so there's some truth to that. I mean, it's not universally true in the sense where you can have some parents that are godly and pour all their resources into raising their kids and their kids can grow up unbelieving and that's just the mystery of God and we pray for God's grace and that, that could be a reality. So it's not always the case, but generally it is the case that Number one, our children represent our image. They bear our image biologically. A lot of times we look at our kids and sometimes we get frustrated with them and then we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, yeah, we, I can see myself in my kids, right? Even their contentiousness or, or, or their attitude and we're like, okay, there's some disciple making we got to do here in the home. You see, it is generally true that the character of children reflect their parents. And why would they say that? Because the parents are the primary disciple makers in the home. Even in a non-Christian perspective, even in an atheist home, that, that set of parents, they are discipling, they're mentoring, they're raising up their children with whatever values. And so in many ways, they're shaping their children. We shape our children. So that's what it means. Like father, like son. Like father, like son, the apple does not fall far from the tree. Now, in Matthew 5, 9, I'm going to show you what Jesus says. He says in, in a similar fashion, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, what we mentioned, and I highlighted for you, for they shall be called sons of God. Like father, like son. Children reflect the father. So the reason why we are called to be peacemakers is simply because we're children of God. That's one verse. So today we are going to do a one-verse sermon. This is a one-verse exposition, and that's the passage. So you can take God's Word, pull it up. I will uh, direct you towards uh, other passages, but I think it's healthy for you to open God's Word and see the surrounding context, okay? So, so let's, let's dive in. First, let's define some terms. What a peacemaker is not. Oftentimes in our world, we think of a peacemaker as someone who avoids conflict. Someone who avoids conflict may be looking to be peaceful, but they are not a peacemaker. A peacemaker is actually a very difficult task. It requires maturity. It requires wisdom. A peacemaker for Christ requires the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? A peacemaker is not one who seeks a peaceful, serene life. You can do all of the meditation you want. At the end of the day, that's not the same as entering into the middle of a conflict and bringing peace. A peacemaker, as we mentioned, is not one who avoids conflict. A peacemaker is not one who tolerates every viewpoint. So peacemaking is not, okay, well, whatever you say is right, whatever you say is right, whatever you say is right, you know, all roads lead to God, right? Everyone has their own truth. That's not peacemaking, okay? That's, that's kind of being a coward, um, 
to put graciously, what is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is one who mediates the peace of Christ in this world. And according to Jesus, not me, according to Jesus, a peacemaker is a true child of God. That means if we fail to mediate the peace of Christ in this world, then we are not truly reflecting our identity as God's children. Okay, a peacemaker is one who mediates the peace of Christ in this world. And according to Jesus, a peacemaker is a true child of God. Well, with that, let's dive into our first point today. And our, we have two points today that just basically explain the two parts of Matthew 5, 9. Okay? So point number one reflects the first part of the verse, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers flourish by mediating the peace of Christ. That is point number one. Peacemakers flourish by mediating the peace of Christ. Matthew 5, 9 is part of what we call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are a series of blessed are statements from Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> so when Jesus says blessed are, he's not prescribing a, a way to receive God's blessing. It's not you will be blessed if you make peace. It's not prescriptive. It's not blessed will you be if you're a peacemaker. Rather, it is not prescriptive. It's rather descriptive. It's blessed are peacemakers, which means it's describing a child of God. It's saying blessed are the peacemakers, and a helpful English term to describe blessed is flourishing. Now, you've heard this from many pastors and theologians before, that uh, one great English translation of the Greek word and the Hebrew understanding of blessed is happy. So you've heard uh, theologians and pastors say, happy are the peacemakers. Now, that's true, but in our time and day, happy is so fluffy, right? What does it even mean to be happy? Uh, that we prefer the word flourishing. Flourishing brings you back to the idea of being deeply rooted and grounded in the peace of God, that even when there's calamity and trials and hardships in your life, that you're able to find peace because you're anchored. You're deeply anchored in Christ. That's the idea. So it's the idea where the society and the environment is not conducive to flourishing, yet you flourish not because of what's happening outside of you and around you, but what is anchoring you and flowing water into your life from within you. You are like that tree firmly planted in streams of water. That is what it means to be blessed. That's what it means to flourish. And we as Christians believe that we flourish in light of our relationship with Christ. So Jesus says flourishing are the peacemakers. And that's the only reason why they're able to entering in between, uh, in between two warring parties and try their best to mediate peace because they are a non-anxious presence. They're anchored in Christ. Now this passage, I believe, is perfect for the state of our world today because we see political zealots on both sides of the spectrum. Not only in our nation, but we see polarization uh, politically and, and political zealotry in many nations across the globe. And so we see the resistance to government. We see governments resisting the democracy of people. And on both sides of the political spectrum, you have people claiming to stand for what is right. And sometimes people claiming to stand for Jesus. But according to Jesus himself, he says the true children of God are not the political zealots of Jesus' day, but the true people of God, the true children of God, are not the silent people either who do nothing. Rather, the true children of God are those who flourish as peacemakers. 
Now, why do we talk about political zealotry? Because that's exactly the context that Jesus wants to address. Jesus' original audience, they were under Roman oppression. So the Beatitudes convey a message that you can flourish as God's people through Christ amid poverty, amid political oppression, under Roman rule. You can flourish through Christ. And for Jesus' original audience, being under Roman oppression meant many of them wanted a Messiah that would bring political and military strength to overthrow the Roman emperor. But there were various Jewish groups, obviously, right? This is a geopolitical world. So there were, there were Jewish uh, groups that wanted to take a military stance against Rome. And so scholars refer to these groups as the zealots, right? And so they were like rebels against the Roman Empire. And so, they, so viewing their militant stance as a sign of loyalty to Yahweh, they refer to themselves as the loyal sons of God. So you see this, where you can imagine some of these Jewish rebels saying, we're really the sons of God. We're the true sons of Yahweh because we say no way to Caesar, right? We are the true sons of God because we stand up against the government. We're the real sons of God. And so to that context, Jesus says, no, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So even the reference of sons of God has a contextual manner to why Jesus would, would choose this context. Now, if you don't believe me, you look further at the context. I want you to see, and we're not going to exposit verses 10 to 12. I've referred to these passages in previous weeks. But if you look at the context, yes, Jesus is saying, be a peacemaker even if persecution comes against you. Yes, Jesus is saying you don't resist and fight like zealots, right? Because the children of God represent a kingdom that is not of this world. So notice what it says. In, in Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12, in the very next three verses, Jesus says, blessed or flourishing are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter, utter all kinds of evil, meaning they rail against you and insult you falsely on my account. They accuse you of things that are not true on the account of Jesus Christ. Blessed are you, flourishing are you. And verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for they, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I'm reading this, and I'm saying, Jesus, how on earth can I flourish in this context? The key comes from the second part of the sermon, the second part of the verse, which I'll get into, which is you flourish not because of your external environment. This is horrible. People are persecuting you. They're accusing you of things that are not true because you want to follow Christ. You're afraid. And he's telling you, rejoice, be glad, because your reward is not now. It's later in heaven, so suffer now, get rewards later. That goes against instant gratification culture. So how am I flourishing? You flourish in light of the fact that you have a heavenly father. You flourish because you recognize that you're a child of God. It's your father that makes you whole. He even protects you. He, he's sovereign over your life. He provides for you. You flourish in light of being reconnected to your father. And I'll get into that. But before I get into that, I want you to see that what Jesus is saying is quite remarkable. He's saying that peacemakers 
will flourish in times of persecution, but the only way that we flourish is through God. Now, this is not a new idea. This is not a new idea because, you know, for you and I, we think, okay, we will find peace. We need to make peace. We need to come to our own peace. We create our own environment for our own flourishing. It's very, we go and do this. We need to fight back. We need to fight for ourselves. We need to fend for ourselves. But even the Jewish expectation should have understood, hear the gospel, beloved, that there's nothing you can do to bring peace to your heart. There's nothing you can do to make peace between you and God. There's nothing you can do to really reconcile all of the evil in this world. So even in Jewish expectation, where does that peace come from? It's hope in the coming. Say it louder. Messiah. It's almost Christmas, right? So even for the Jews, they understood that there's someone that's going to bring peace for us. There's someone that's going to make peace for us. It's God. Now, you notice Isaiah 9, 6. Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas, right? It's Christmas time, so it's Thanksgiving. Bring out the reds. I apologize. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I was impressed. I didn't get the memo, but I, I walked into, and I saw the worship team looking like a J. Crew catalog today. I said, wow. Or L.L. Bean, for those of you my generation. I was like, wow, everyone's wearing plaid. It must be Christmas time, you know? Let it snow. Where's my hot cocoa? But um, Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace, right? So, so there has to be a child that comes into this world, born into this world, sent from God that brings peace. The Jews understood this. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. Zechariah 9, verse 10. Uh, it, it speaks of the Messiah who will speak peace to the nations. Because the Jews, just like us, they saw that the nations were at war. Just like you and me, we look at the nations, we're like, what's going to happen? I mean, so this is what I'm talking about. We live in this world, global, right? You look at the Pacific Rim, you look at Ukraine, but you look at like, what's going to happen? When is there going to be war, right? We're afraid that's going to affect the entire economy. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible, right? The whole world, and we're looking at it, but look at what the Jews saw. They saw, verse 10, Zechariah 9, 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. I'm going to stop war. And the battle bow shall be cut off. That's symbolic. He's going to end war. And he shall speak peace to the nations. Who? Christ. His rule shall be from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. In other words, the Jews understood that they could not fight for their own peace. They're not going to, even if they overthrew the Roman Empire, there would still be war. So even the devout Jew understood we need God to break through the brokenness of our world and to bring peace. Lastly, Isaiah 52, the servant leading up to the servant passages. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. I love that. There's so much. Just pause right there. There's so much published on social media and on the media and everything that you read and see where you just see people not wanting to make peace, 
They just want everybody to know, this is what I think, this is what I feel. And it's just, it's just constant warfare. But, but Israel looked to a Messiah that would publish peace, bringing good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says, Zion, your God reigns. So you see that when God reigns, that's when peace comes. That's what peace comes, when God reigns. So the Messiah would bring peace, but notice this. What are we praying for in Ukraine? We're, pre- we're praying for the war to end. Now, do you think that Russia and Ukraine would all of a sudden become friends after that? Oh, come on, we, we live in a real world, right? They have to come to peace because somebody's losing or because the economy is hurt so badly or there's so much pressure from the global nations that it's like, okay, we got to stop. But in the end, you'll see that the pain, the bloodshed, the the Ukrainians who lost that much life, their children growing up in this, I mean, apart from the gospel, how do they forgive what has happened to them? You, You look how deep the roots of war creates generations of antagonism and hatred. It's inevitable that the conflicts, conflicts in this world continue, right? So, but what they're asking for when they mean peace is ceasefire, truce. Jesus does not come to bring a truce. Jesus does not come to bring a ceasefire. The reason is because ceasefires and truces are only temporary, right? Jesus comes and he brings shalom. Can you say shalom? Shalom, shalom. It's a Jewish idea of peace, shalom, right? It means peace. It's not just a momentary peace. It's not just, okay, stop fighting. Okay, there's peace for the moment. It's a holistic inner peace of being in the presence of God. And, the, and how Israel would experience shalom is that if God goes with them, if God dwells with them. That's why Moses would say, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. If you don't go into the land with us, we don't want to go. Without you, there's no peace. Right? So wherever God is, that's where God's peace is. And so as Christians, what God is saying is that I've sent you into the world filled with my spirit to mediate my peace. And Christians around the world are supposed to represent God's shalom until he returns and establishes his reign and his everlasting peace. And so Christians are the mediators of God's shalom. It's a holistic peace. It's the only type of peace that's going to bring lasting healing to the nations. Healing to the nations requires shalom so that the conflict that's underneath doesn't resurface because God goes deep within and deals with the inner conflict. Now, follow me on that because we're going to get to point two. I'll set you up, though. The only way to deal with the deep hurts within is actually to be reconciled to your father. Point number two, peacemakers are the true children of God. Why? Because they reflect the character of God. Remember what I said? Like father, like son, right? Why do we say that? Because the more time parents spend with their children, the more parents can influence their children. Their children start speaking and talking like their parents, not exactly verbatim, okay? But parents have uh, maybe 17, 18 years of, your, of, of that time to really speak and invest and make disciples, right? So peacemakers are the true, true children of God because they reflect the character of God. And we see this in Matthew 5, 9b, where it says, for they shall be called sons of God, 
right? Now, let me, get, let me show you Matthew 23, okay? Matthew 23, verses, uh, verse 15. I want you to see this idea of son, okay, used in Matthew. We're in Matthew 5. You go to 23, right? Jesus, now he rebukes harshly the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy, because of their evil, because of their outright rejection for God. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make, pro- make one proselyte, meaning make disciples, disciple makers. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. That's the New American Standard Bible 1995 version. Jesus says that. Now, that's harsh. I would never talk to someone like that. Jesus has the right to talk to the Pharisees that way. He's calling them a son of hell. He's basically saying, your character, Pharisees, reflects the devil, your father. You see that? He's telling them, your character, when you make disciples, Pharisees, they become twice as much a son that reflects the character of Satan than yourselves. That's a strong insult to a Jew. That is a strong insult to a Jew. And so again, this is Jesus rebuking the people, the, 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 people, the religious establishment that's abusing their authority and suppressing God's people. And they were corrupt, so Jesus rebukes them. So that's Jewish thought. Jewish thought is a son acts like his father, like father, like son. So if someone is acting evil, you might say to them, you are, you are acting like a son of the devil. But if you say, oh, blessed are you peacemakers, you're acting like a son of God, the father. Right? So that's the idea. So you can understand. Now, Jesus declares peacemakers will be called in Matthew 5, 9. That's a future tense. Will be called uh, sons of God. That is, in eternity, the true sons of God will be revealed. That when we get to heaven, you will see who are the true children of God, and it will be made clear that those who are the children of God are who? The peacemakers. Now, I want to be clear that the original Greek word used in Matthew 5.9, it's the masculine plural sons. But I use children because this is not just referring to men, like I said. It's referring to character. That's how Matthew uses it in Jewish thought. It's referring to our character, right? So you could be male, female, but are you acting like a son? Are you reflecting the character? And this makes sense theologically because the son of God reflects his father. Jesus Christ reflects the character of God the Father. So Jesus is saying flourishing are those who mediate the peace of Christ because they reflect the character of Yahweh. They foster forgiveness. They step into a conflict. Now, recently, we've, uh, we called for uh, a few deacon candidates who we're praying for. And the main thing of being a deacon candidate, because deacons are lead officers, right? An officer has to get along with people and has to mediate, but some of the officer positions are purely administrative. And for the officers, the, the character matters, but they work maybe within just their congregation or within a department. Or some of them will just have a few meetings a year just with a few people. But deacons are the people who, if you wonder, hey, 
If I yelled at that guy, they probably wouldn't yell back. If I insulted him, he'd probably try to make peace. You might think the world might say, well, that guy's kind of soft. No, no, no. These are men who we've seen mediate conflict between generations. We've seen them in, in difficult situations. They're naturally people who can stand there, address people from all three congregations, and just kindly respond when, when, when parents or people are saying things to them, or people who are older or younger, uh, respected by all generations. And, and mainly, at least from the English pastor point of view, when we look for English deacons, the number one thing is, are they peacemakers? Is that, is that we need officers to handle a lot of administrative things, but the peacemaker is the one who helps the pastors enter in and resolve conflict. Sometimes you don't hear about what our deacons do because we can't tell you because they're dealing with some conflict. They're dealing with some difficult people. So not only do deacons visit and care, and some of them do that, but they're actually, and they handle some of the hardest conflict, some of the hardest projects that have some of the most conflict in it. Those are assigned to deacons. And so when we look at our deacons, our deacons, being deacons of the whole church, deacon candidates, they must be first and foremost peacemakers. Peacemakers who step in between. And so, so a deacon of an English congregation can never say, hey, look at, the, look at our Cantonese. Why are they doing that? Why can't English have that? If I've ever heard you talk like that, it's, it's done, right? So our, our deacons are always thinking all three congregations are always thinking, how do we mediate peace? How do we look as one church? How do we, and, and, and the deacons, uh, the deacon candidates are never saying, well, well, look at all the old people. We don't want to work with them. Or look at all the young people. They're, you know, it's always a bridge person, right? Able to, able to respectfully go upwards and downwards. And so, you know, most of our deacon candidates, we examine them for over a decade. We look at them to see how contentious they are in an officer position or not contentious. And so, so if you want to see examples of peacemakers, that's who we look for. No pressure, deacons. Okay? But that's what we look for. Okay? Is, and really, this points towards Jesus, our true and better peacemaker. I want you to see how Jesus ultimately fulfills, Jesus ultimately fulfills the peacemaking role, the role. In Colossians 1 verse 20, it says this, it says, and through him, talking about Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So ultimately, we are enemies of God because we're born sinners. We're born with this divide between us and our heavenly father, our creator. And the son of God comes to reconcile us through the blood of his cross, to die for our sins, and to rise again to make peace, to bring us into fellowship of God. So once that peace is made, having peace with Christ is what enables us to be peacemakers. Because we go from being God's enemies to God's children. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. You know, there are plenty of times throughout the day or throughout the week where I start to think, oh man, you know, self-righteously or proud, or I start to judge someone. And right away, I just have to look in the mirror and say, oh, I am the chief of sinners. God forgave me. God's still showing me grace every single day. Who am I not to show grace? Not to show grace towards someone else. You see, it is understanding that we've been reconciled through Christ to God the Father that we realize, oh, we must be agents of peace and peacemakers. I'm going to give you the big idea and give you some application. The big idea of today's message is flourishing are the children of God who mediate 
the peace of God experienced through the Son of God. Flourishing are the children of God who mediate the peace of God experienced through the Son of God. Okay? So our inability to make peace is often because we are not truly at peace with God. We are not truly at peace with God because we don't understand, we have not fully embraced what it means to be his child. So I'm going to get into application here. Flourishing are the children of God who, I will say, are able to mediate the peace of God because they've experienced sonship through the Son of God. Okay? Application. When Christ enters our hearts, he deals with our unresolved issues. He makes us whole. Sometimes we need to realize that. You see, when you think of peacemaking, you think, Hanley, how do we peacemake, be peacemakers in a post-Christian world? Start in your heart. You may be surprised. You don't start with, with the outside world. You don't start by studying all the different views or looking at different arguments or looking at different sides. That's later. First thing you need to do is pray and go before the Lord and his word and remember that Christ enters your heart and ask the Lord, Lord, am I at peace with you? And am I at peace with myself because of what you've done to me? You see, you've often heard this other phrase, I can't pronounce my words today. This other phrase called hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people, right? Hurt people hurt people. So in order to be peacemakers, we must come to peace with God and peace with ourselves. Christ is the only person who can make a broken person whole. He deals with your hurts. If you don't deal with your own hurts, you can't really enter into a conflict and deal with other people. In fact, Oftentimes, when you look at someone who's always angry, I have to look in the mirror sometimes, or, or always defensive, or always contentious, have some compassion. Deep inside, there's some hurts that God has not dealt with them yet. And until God deals with them, they will always be defensive, even Christians. You can be a Christian in position, right? You can say, I'm positionally declared righteous, justified by faith. Mentally, in my heart, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm saved but I've not yet embraced fully my Father. What it means to to have the layers of my heart opened and to recognize that I can be secure in who I am because I'm a son or daughter of God. You know, isn't that what God does to us? Is that he's gracious like a parent with a child. Is in the early years, he just has you deal with some external sins, the obvious sins, you deal with that. Then deal with the relationships that are hurting. And then finally, he says, you need to deal with some deeper hurts within yourselves. And, and you, you constantly have to ask yourself, what am I not at peace with? Oh, this person hurt me or my parents hurt me. Okay, and then you make peace. And then later you get older and, you're, and, and, then, and, then, and then disease comes and you're like, God, I'm struggling to have peace with you. And, then he, and he's like, do you trust me as your father? And then you work through that. And then by the end of your life or as long as God has you, Every single time you're realizing my security does not come in my health, my wealth, my past. My security is that the Son is making me into the Son, not just in character, but He's making me into a Son of of the Father. Is that not only are you believing in Jesus, but you're enjoying the inheritance of being in Christ. You're becoming that relation, that intimacy of the son has with his father, you're becoming that person. 
and all your insecurity, all your hurts, everything that happens to you, you realize the only way I'm made whole is by my creator. And my creator loves me enough that he did not reveal himself as just some distant creator. He revealed himself to me as father. Because a father protects, a father comes and protects you in fear, a father makes you whole, a father creates and builds, a father makes us whole. Jesus Christ is the only way to the father. And so the more you are in Christ, you're actually becoming more a son of God. You understand that? The more peace you experience being made in your heart because of the security of being grounded in Christ, the more you will be like, oh man, I am just living as a son of God, as a daughter of God. And because of that, you're able to walk out and represent your father just like Christ. And you're able to mediate peace because peace has been mediated in your heart. One author writes this quote, peacemaking requires a keen understanding of unresolved issues within us so that we can overcome our woundedness and then offer and establish wholeness for and with others, end quote. This helps you understand why God gives us suffering. God gives us broken relationships. God gives us tattered past. God gives us baggage. God gives us pain so that we can be made whole. We recognize that we're broken. He builds us back up as his sons, and then we sit down with someone else who's broken, and we help them go to Christ because we've experienced being made whole. I was listening to a sermon this week, and it's not about our passage, but the preacher referred to this passage, and it refers to peacemaking. Proverbs 25, 15, and I like the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB version, and it says, a ruler, that's not like the measurement, you know, but a ruler like, a, like the nation, right? Um, you know, a ruler can be persuaded through patience. And a gentle tongue can break a bone. And the preacher tried to explain that. It's pretty good. I went to look at a commentary on Proverbs 25, and Dwayne Garrett, Old Testament scholar from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he explains the meaning of a gentle or soft tongue can break a bone. What do you mean by that? It means the bones are the most rigid parts inside of a person. And fracturing the bones here refers to breaking down the deepest, most hardest resistance to an idea a person may possess. So think of, think of yourself first. In your heart, there's, there's, there's hardness, there's things, there's hurts. And when that hurt is unresolved, it builds up, it's hard like a bone, hard like a rock. And if someone, if your counselor or pastor or someone tries to tell you, change, you're angry, look at you, you're bitter, you just get more defensive. You, you're already hurt, so you put up more protection, more walls. It doesn't help. They speak the truth, but not in love which means they don't really love you. If they really loved you, you don't talk to your kids that way, right? You speak the truth and you package it with gentleness because you care that they'll listen to you. And so what this is saying is that a gentle tongue, that's, isn't that what God did to us? Son, come here. You're a sinner, but I want to save you. I'm going to send my son to die for you. Right? A gentle tongue can break the hardest of hearts. 
So if, if you want to be a peacemaker, you, one, you recognize that that's what God did to us. He comes into our hearts. How many of you are saved because Christ told you that if you don't believe in him, you're going to go to hell? I mean, you know that's true, but how many of you are saved because Jesus broke your heart with love? Because, because tears streamed down your face because you could not envision that someone loves you, that you don't deserve it, that he would put his son on the cross to die for your sins and to rise again, free gift of God, and all you have to do is believe and trust him, and then that transforms your life so that you live for him. How many of you were saved because of the mercy of God? How many of you were saved because of the grace of God? It was the gentle tongue and the word of God became, become flesh that broke down the hardness of your heart. Now, if you understand that, that God is continually softening you and building you up into his likeness, then when you go out there and when someone is antagonistic towards you, whether it's online or in person, when you see two warring parties, if you go in there and say, I got the truth, I'll speak real loud. That's not going to persuade them. You don't really love them. If you want to be a peacemaker, you have to understand the gentle words. Love, words, the truth, but spoken winsomely, graciously, generously, lovingly, is what God would use. And so that means that this is the person who steps into chaos with a non-anxious presence, who takes all the offense, even being insulted, not taking it personally, but able to find their identity in Christ and to give of themselves, to pour out of themselves in order that others would be made whole. I can't think of anybody else like that than Jesus Christ, who entered the chaos of this fallen world and everybody insulted him and reviled him and accused him of things, yet he was sinless. They beat him, spat on him, and he did not utter, utter a word in response because he knew his mission. He went to the cross, and rather than blaming everybody else on the cross, he took everything. He bore it all on himself. And he had the security of his father. And the only time he felt forsaken was when his father could not bear to look upon him because he was bearing the sin of this world. And as he poured out of himself, he made us whole. And he resurrected and went back to his father. That's Christ. Flourishing are the children of God who mediate the peace of God experienced through the Son of God. If you don't have Christ this morning, I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want everyone to bow your heads now. Everyone, eyes closed, heads bowed. And if you want to receive Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I have a lot of hurts in my heart, but I confess that I need peace. I confess that I need your peace. I confess that I am a sinner and I need Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross and he rose again. I want to change my heart. I want to repent. I need your peace. Please forgive me. Please make me whole. I want to follow you. If you prayed that prayer, it's just the beginning of a journey. If you're interested in receiving Christ, come see me. I'll be at the next steps table. I know we got lunch. So, you know, you can come see me next week as well. But this week, before you get your lunch, more important than turkey and ham is the salvation of your soul. If you want to receive Christ, come talk to us. We'll be at the next steps table. We want to lead you to Christ. For the rest of us, let's pray this. Father, 
Let's close. We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, this Thanksgiving, we have a lot to be thankful for. Even when we gather with family, sometimes we're, we're reminded of the deep hurts that we have. But we realize that we are made whole because of our Heavenly Father. Lord, help us to experience not just the salvation of the Son, but what it means to be your sons, to live and experience that perfect love that makes us whole and, and uh, deals with our wounds so that we can help bring that peace and mediate that peace towards others. Lord, we love you. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to build us up as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.